This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. You have an investing style, a TD Ameritrade has a mobile app to match it. Check out TD Ameritrade Mobile and Think or Swim Mobile to find out the one that's right for you. Member SIPC. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Tuesday, November 19th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. Joining me in the studio today... It's Emily Flippin. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So, on today's Consumer Goods Show, we're going to dive into Nike's recent decision to break up with Amazon. Didn't seem like breaking up was that hard to do in this case, Emily, but I guess we'll find out. Uh, We've got the top items, it seems, on everyone's holiday list this year. We've got more of the last stock you bought and why. But we're going to lead off today's show with a tweet. Emily, let me read. Heidi Ho, oh, I'm sorry, Heidi How, does Heidi Lau. Hot Pots sells so much food per square foot. Well, I hear getting free manicures while you wait can work up quite the appetite. This might be the biggest, bestest restaurant you've never heard of. Hashtag H-D-A-L-F. That's the ticker. Now, Emily, you know and I know that was your tweet. It was. Maybe my third tweet. (laughs) We finally got you on Twitter. And I'm going to tell you what, I love that tweet because, number one, I had never heard of this company before. Number two, I know how well you know the Chinese market. And number three, your enthusiasm to work up such a cleverly worded tweet. I mean, it just it had everything. And so I felt like it was worthy of leading today's show off because I guarantee you our listeners would like to know more about this company and what has you so excited about it. Well, I will admit that saying, getting that pun, the Heidi Howe, took me way (laughs) longer to come up with than it should have. Yes, Heidi Lao Hot Pot is a chain of Chinese hot pot restaurants. There's something I know it is food and China, so this combines both of them for me. (laughs) I will say that ticker, H-D-A-L-F, unfortunately, while it is trade over-the-counter here in the U.S., that is Rule 144. So unless you are an institutional buyer, you'll need to buy it on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Uh, But it is an extremely impressive company, and I do think it's worth looking into if you are interested in buying international companies. Uh, It has over 500 restaurants across the world, the vast majority of which are in China. And for anybody who might not be familiar, Hot Pot is like, I've heard it described as Chinese fondue. Um, I feel like that's a bit of a misnomer. There's no cheese involved. Uh, In fact, you're actually given raw vegetables, raw meats. You put them in boiling water. You pull it out, put a little sauce on it. It's delicious. I was going to say, I've had that. I love it. I I love it, too. And, And a lot of people... Go to Heidi Lau, especially for it. I will say Heidi Lau is expensive. So when you look the at the stock or the menu, <laughs> <laughs> actually, I would not say the stock is expensive. The menu itself is expensive. When that when you look at that squares per square foot, part of the reason why that is so high is not because their restaurants are really small. In fact, their average restaurant I think is something like ten thousand square feet. It's because they sell such expensive so much food. It's a real treat. You'll notice if you have a Heidi Lau near you, in the U.S., those are people only, I think, New York or Los Angeles. So they're not spread very wide here, but they do have a very, very long wait. So it's very much a treat when you have the opportunity to go to Heidi Lau. Well, I mean, to your point there on the sales per square foot number, I mean, that's uh, you weren't lying. I mean, this is a big disparity when you look at some of the names here, like Panera, uh, sales per square foot. Now, these are as of 2017, but Panera is $308. Texas Roadhouse seven uh, six hundred fifty two, Cracker Barrel uh, Barrel five hundred seventeen, Chipotle eight hundred forty four, Heidi Lau one thousand two hundred sixty seven dollars in sales per square foot. So, 
I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe the stores are really big, but it does seem like you have to have the demand to keep that number up. Oh, yes. And and I will say that those comparisons maybe weren't the most fair comparisons, but I was hungry and I was thinking, (laughs) what do I want to eat? And those were the things that came to mind in addition to Heidi Lau. Uh, But that is to say that a lot of those companies, I mean, Texas Roadhouse, Chipotle, they really are best in class for restaurant sales per square foot. So it's a fair comparison in that regard. And Heidi Lau has done just an excellent job in both growing their same store sales. So the, the, amount of revenue that's attributable to existing stores for over a year, as well as building out new stores. Um, Same-store sales increased nearly 5% year-over-year. The average spend per guest increased 4% year-over-year. So there's lots of growth there, but the vast majority of that is actually within Tier 3 cities and below. Uh, Yeah, their same-store sales grew 13% last quarter. So these are the cities in China that are uh, not your Shanghai's, not your Beijing's, not your Guangzhou's. They're smaller cities, all those small cities in China, um, you know, give American small cities a run for their no- <laughs> yeah. money. So it is to say that there's lots of opportunity there, but it's a growing middle class in China that are more willing to spend up for experiences. And those experiences include things like free manicures while you wait. That was going to be my next question because <laughs> I was trying to figure out whether the manicure thing was a joke or whether it was actually real. So you're saying if you go to this restaurant, you could actually get a free manicure while you wait? Yes. It, I, I wish it was a joke. Um, I think that's an odd <laughs> thing to have included in your fast, I don't say fast casual, but in your in your dining experience. But I guess the lines get so long that people can pre-book manicures ahead of time. So while you wait, the manicurist will come, give you a manicure, as well as, well as a, they have a playground for their kids, for instance. Ah, uh, so the old, taking a page out of the old book of Ikea. Oh, exactly. And um. You know, that's probably a better comparison. It is the IKEA of restaurants. Maybe you go in, you send your kids off, and you get lost in a, <laughs> a maze of food for a few hours. Uh, it all goes back to their CEO, co founder, Zhang Yang. He uh, actually founded the company in China. He grew up, I don't say poor, but he grew up, you know, not wealthy in China and actually had lots of experience working in in restaurants. And he saw that the most successful restaurants were those that catered to the customer. And so he built this brand off of just being the customer, wanting to improve that customer experience. So the idea being the moment you step in to the moment you step out, everything is built for you as the customer. This includes things like giving you bibs. And if you're a woman (laughs) with long hair, giving you a hair tie so your hair doesn't fall into the hot pot. So really every aspect has been thought about here. All right. You know, people think you might be joking about that. But I'll tell you, with two daughters at home, both with long hair, I can't tell you how many times we've had them put their hair up before dinner because we're having spaghetti with meatballs and you don't want a hair full of sauce. So that that that's real. That exists. Okay, two questions. Um, number one, this you said right now investors looking to get exposure to this company, they would have to actually buy it through the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, correct? Yes, as of right now. Okay, is there any plan, do you know, in the near future for this to become more accessible for American investors? I really hope so. Um, I don't think there is any plan right now, uh, but the shares have been on fire and it's one of the few Chinese companies companies that has a really strong return on equity. So I'm hoping that as the demand comes there, maybe that will change. Uh, But I do think it's worth, if you don't have international uh, privileges set up on your broker's account, I mean, a lot of companies now, Fidelity included, which is what I use, make it really easy to set it up, relatively low on in terms of fees. So I definitely say look into it if you're interested. And Manicure or pedicure. And get better. and you know, if you live in one of those companies that lets you go, go get the manicure. I, I admittedly 
wouldn't know the answer to that question uh, because I, I bite my nails. <laughs> so I say pedicure then since I have no fingernails. Well, yeah. I mean, I've never had a manicure, so I can't really speak to that. But my wife talked me into getting a pedicure one time. And I got to say, I was really – I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. And, and – uh God knows I'll probably be going back to get another one sooner or later. Um, but I'm with you on the fingernails thing, man. I got to cut them before I start biting them. Yep. Um, okay, well, there you go. Heidi Lau, thanks so much there. Now, talking about uh, the next story here, Amazon and Nike. Late last week, we saw the headline come through that Nike confirmed it's no longer going to be selling products on Amazon's site. And I mean, this isn't this isn't a partnership that really has existed all that long. It's really only been a couple of years where you could do that. And you know, it's it's an interesting it's been an interesting progression here as Amazon has continued just to take up share in I, I don't even want to call it e-commerce anymore because really I feel like all commerce is just becoming in this omni-channel. You need the total package in order to really succeed, which is why we're probably seeing Amazon e- even investing in some physical stores there uh, here and there. But in regard to Nike with Amazon, Who's the bigger loser here? I don't know that it's so obvious at first glance. I'm not sure if there is a loser here. I'd say this isn't really a breakup. I think that makes it sound really bad. This is more just like a fling where Nike maybe just determines, it's not really for me. I'll say Amazon has done an amazing job in going after consumers. They aggregate consumers' eyes better than any other platform out there. But here's the thing. If you're Nike... You already have the brand name. So you've already spent a lot of time and money in terms of marketing to aggregate those eyes yourself. And you have such a strong brand that you don't really need to pay Amazon, give Amazon their fees to have people seek and search out to buy your products. So I'd say they gave it a try. Nike maybe ultimately determined that it just wasn't worth it for them. They did say they wanted to focus on building out themselves, I mean, their own distribution channels. And it comes right after naming uh, a new CEO, actually, who's going to take over in 2020. So, John Donahue, who was a former, uh, from formerly eBay, eBay, is going to be coming over. So, that's also kind of an interesting aspect of a play there between the eBay versus Amazon. But I will say, I think both companies are still poised well after this. So, a little bit of a, it's not you, it's me thing. Then maybe <laughs> Nike just said, "Hey, you know, we tried it. It's not really working." Um, I mean, I, I do understand this to a degree. I mean, whenever I'm looking for Nike gear or Under Armour gear, then I typically am going to their apps because number one, they've got all of the stuff that I've ordered there before. They typically have all of the access to the latest stuff. Another thing that I'm finding, and I've heard this from a number of people, is that when you order things like Nike or Under Armour gear from from Amazon you're not ever really quite positive where it's coming from and sometimes there's this there's this chance at least that it could be pirated material right it could it could be you know it could be not authentic or not original Nike or or Under Armour equipment and i can't imagine that they would be the only brands um looking at this risk there so i mean it certainly does speak to the bigger more established brands wanting to invest in their own presence uh, control that consumer experience from start to finish, uh, it, which is why you see so much investment being made from Nike, particularly. I mean, they've they've uh, just done done so much. I mean, the sneakers app alone. When you look at the numbers that their sneakers app is bringing in, it's, it's actually kind of astounding. I just didn't really, I didn't really. I got like a pair of tennis shoes, and they last me a couple of years, and then maybe I buy another one. But people like to buy tennis shoes apparently a lot, and, and Nike's really <laughs> exploiting that. Um, so it, it, we see this evolution of the e-commerce environment of. of Retail, how it's becoming this omni-channel sort of of thing. There, 
Now, there's this other little business kind of off off to the side. It's kind of doing its own thing, and its financials don't look all that great right now. But it's signing up a lot of customers, and that's Shopify. Mm. Uh, Shopify really seems to be riding a little bit uh, of the the tailwinds created by Amazon early on. But I don't think its success is really coming uh, due to Amazon. It seems like Shopify uh, is is taking its own tack here in, in the retail world. How do you feel like Shopify? benefits from a move like this? Do you feel like this adds a little bit more credibility to what Shopify is trying to do? Oh, totally. I I think Shopify is such an interesting example because it benefits off of Amazon's mistakes. But Tobias Luque, the the CEO and co-founder of Shopify, has never once gone after Amazon's business. He's totally focused on just his merchants and, and their experiences using the platform. So, when you look at Amazon, the big catalyst for what's making people like Nike right leave the platform and potentially start using a Shopify platform, their own distribution channels distributed over Shopify, is because Amazon has struggled so much with third-party retailers, both in terms of quality, like you mentioned with Nike, as well as with competing with their third-party retailers by launching their own private label brands. So, it's interesting to see a lot of people move from Amazon's platform. I shouldn't say a lot of people. Amazon is is still very clearly dominant in the space. But a number of people are trying to get their customers to buy directly on their own sites. Not everybody has the brand name that Nike does that will allow it to be successful in doing so. But if they are able to, that gives Shopify a huge tailwind because as consumers, what makes us use Amazon is ease of access, the ability to get your stuff within just a couple of days. And Shopify now has the ability to, you know, virtually 100% across the U.S. provide their benefit or their services, so the products that you order within two business days. Yeah. So that's Amazon level delivery right there. Yeah, I mean, to your point there, I think Amazon really set the standard, and you're seeing other companies. I don't know, imitate it, but maybe to a degree they imitate it, right? I mean, what do they have? You're innovators, you're imitators, and then you're idiots. I mean, I think Shopify is probably one of those innovators slash imitators. But um, I mean, if you're if you're if you're one of Amazon's third party partners, and, and you're thinking, well, this is hunky dory. I've been able to grow my business, you know, by this amount thanks to Amazon and everything they've been able to offer. At some point, though, I mean, Amazon is clearly the one that that really holds the weight in that relationship, right? They're going to be able to command a little bit more. And your smaller businesses around the country, they're probably looking for maybe another alternative. And certainly, Shopify seems to provide that alternative. But the investments they're making in fulfillment, logistics and fulfillment, to your point there, going beyond just the shopping experience, but really the that A to Z, getting it from point A to point B in in Two days, one day, whatever they're going to promise you. I mean, that now we see, I mean, building all of that fulfillment out, the investments they're making, starting to become a little bit more obvious what Shopify is trying to do here. And while we can rag on the stock price maybe for seeming expensive these days, because, yeah, they are not profitable yet. Nope, they don't make a ton of cash. Yep, they just keep on seeming to burn through it. They do have something to show for it. And, and certainly the metrics that matter on the customer side uh, all seem to be heading in the right direction. So, yeah, I, I mean, it does seem like. More small businesses want to take control of that experience, and Shopify is, is one solution there. Yeah, Shopify has never looked cheap. And uh, to give you kind of a good reason for why I think Shopify and Amazon can both succeed when it seems like they're competing against each other, I went on Amazon earlier today and I decided to look through their men and women's clothing, just whatever or their apparel. What were the most 
popular products sold. You can sort by by popularity. And there were a lot of brand names there. So, you know, a lot of those were obviously Nike, which they're going yeah. to be losing. Another example, I think, is Levi's. While Levi's hasn't announced any plans to leave Amazon's platform, some of the more popular products sold, and they have a brand name that's strong enough that could probably allow them to still get a lot of traffic directly to their own websites if they were to leave Amazon. So that's great things for Shopify. Allow people to build their own brand, give them another option. But at the same time, I saw a lot of brands like Hanes and Champion, which are never going to be able to leave Amazon's platform because those are so easily exchangeable for any other product. They need as many eyes as possible. So it's great that third-party retailers are given the option, right? They have their Shopify direct-to-consumer channels that are higher margin, more profitable for them. You don't have to compete with Amazon. But at the same time, they're given the option to get on Amazon, aggregate those eyes, get the most number of, of clicks and purchases. So it's almost a symbiotic relationship. Well, as a Shopify and Amazon shareholder, I feel like I'm leaving this discussion happy that I'm keeping <laughs> shares in both companies. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> uh, just a reminder, this episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Uh, so Emily, tell me if you've heard this one before. You've done a ton of research on a trade, but you can't decide if you want to actually go through with it. Uh, that's me every day, Jason. Yeah, you've been stuck in that situation. So have I. I've been stuck in that situation, too. Fortunately, for us, for our listeners, TD Ameritrade's trade desk might be the secret to figuring it all out. Just go to tdameritrade.com slash trade desk to see how they can help you gut check your trades. That's tdameritrade.com slash trade desk. Member SIPC. Okay, Emily, it's it's that time of year. The holiday season is upon us. That means a lot of traveling, means a lot of eating. I mean, I'm I'm okay with the eating part. Traveling, I get kind of tired, but you know, you got to do. You can eat and travel at the same time. It makes it a little better. Very good point. Multitasker. Mm -hmm. See, that's I like that. Uh, But there's also a lot of gift giving. Now, gift giving I like more than gift receiving. I always enjoy being able to find that great gift, uh, and then seeing someone who gets it and really appreciates it. You know, it's always just a lot of fun. Um, But with that said, hey, people like getting gifts too. And according to a Piper Jaffray survey uh, survey of more than 1,000 U.S. consumers ages 18 to 65, the upper income teenage cohort, and I think we got to be careful here because even though this is the upper income teenage cohort, we know how teenagers are. And that all trickles down to just every teenager. Once teens see someone having something, everybody kind of wants it. Uh, so it should be no surprise that the top listed consumer brand for teens is Apple this year. It seems like it's that way every year, but AirPods certainly at the top of the list for a lot of people. Nike was the second most mentioned brand. And, uh, you know, hey, listen, that they're taking control of their own brand and breaking up with Amazon. Maybe, maybe uh, you know they they saw this coming. Um, also, another brand that surprised me just because I didn't know it held this much sway with teens. Louis Vuitton. Are you aware of this? No, I'm. I feel like I'm starting to get old. Now. <laughs> you know, I oh when I think God. about Louis Vuitton, I do not think about something that is a, maybe a top three desired for high income teenagers. But uh, gosh, maybe they're. New marketing or something starting to pay off here. It's this internet age. I think yeah. it, it, you know, social social media, the way these companies can market now. I mean, stuff goes viral at the drop of a hat. And if you're feeling old, then maybe I need to go ahead and deliberate retirement because <laughs> I think I'm twice as old as you are. <laughs> okay, but let's take this in the other direction. We know all of these brands that everybody likes, right? And we can tell you with pretty pretty high levels of certainty that these are going to be brands that do very well this holiday season. But what are some of the brands that we feel like are going into this holiday season and really 
they're facing some headwinds. They need a hit. Something just ain't working for them, and something needs to change. You got any ideas out there of brands or concepts that, that need a hit? Yeah, there. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, the best thing I could get for it any present in the holiday season was games. I loved games, and the go-to place for that was always GameStop. GameStop is an interesting one to watch as they slowly dwindle into nothing. <laughs> and Black Friday is always a great example of this. You know, coming up next week, it's going to be interesting to see if GameStop gets any of that excitement for the Black Friday, if they have to, you know, cut prices down to pull people away from the Targets, the Best Buys, and the Walmarts of the world. So that one's always, a, uh, I say, fun to watch. It's a little sad to watch. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I remember this time last year, a really interesting company was going public, and that was Yeti. If oh, yeah, familiar, yeah, yeah. Anyone familiar with them? It's a, they made big coolers initially, and now they've just become this brand. And I remember doing my initial research on this and thinking, what a disaster. This company's products were worse than that available. Their prices were outrageous, and they had nothing going except for that name, Yeti. And I knew I had made a mistake. When I went back home for Christmas, and I went to my friend's house, and she had three Yeti mugs sitting right. on our countertop. She had been gifted three mugs. So it'll be interesting interesting to see how uh, these you know, brands that do really well during the gift-giving season, such as Yeti, do this time around. I mean, admittedly, they're being compared to some harsh numbers year over year because last year was so good for them. Kind of a lifestyle brand, I guess. They're trying to figure <laughs> out ways to... I hate that term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know how else to put it. I mean, yep. for me, I think when when they first went public, and I remember we sit next to each other and we were able to talk a little bit about Yeti, and I don't think, you know, you and I both had pretty much the same opinion there. It just, it was hard to imagine why the market was receiving receiving it so well. I mean, it's a brand that people are familiar with. I mean, it, they always struck me as, I don't know, I mean, I think we have a Yeti cup at home, and maybe it keeps stuff cool or hot, but the cup leaked. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to pay that much, I, the cup shouldn't leak, right? I mean, are my expectations too high? But I don't think so. With all these teenagers that are, you know, buying their Louis Vuitton products, it doesn't matter <laughs> if the cup leaks. It has to have the Yeti on it. Well, I do remember that age very well, and mm-hmm. I do remember the value in a brand that matters. And sometimes it doesn't matter about the quality of the product. It just matters about the brand that's on it. And hey, if Yeti's able to capitalize on that, then more power to them. Okay, let's jump into what has become a a big favorite of mine here, this segment. Uh, this is something we kicked off, I don't know, month and a half ago or so on the, on the financial show on Mondays. And it really has snowballed thanks to all of our listeners out there. Really, you just keep on chiming in. And so I've, I've made you the promise. If you write it, we'll read it. And it's the last stock you bought and why. And you know we want to hear about the stocks you're buying. Email us at industryfocus at fool.com or hit us up on Twitter at MFIndustryFocus. Let us know the last stock you bought and why. We got an email from Josh. Josh says, uh, Josh says, I first want to say that my strategy is a bit different than many. I don't buy one stock at a time, but rather typically place five to 15 orders at once using a fractional share purchase plan through folio investing. This means that I just bought four stocks in my most recent purchase. Now, I'm going to I'm going to whittle this down a little bit for for uh, the sake of time here, but number 1 he bought Facebook because it's cheap and social is no passing fad. Number 2 Comcast because he likes the utility style subscription model. Number 3 and 4 
He bought uh, American Express and PayPal because in the world of finance, those are two of his favorites. And then number five, he bought iShares of a gold ETF, which is what he holds instead of cash. So, hey, Josh, listen, thanks so much. We appreciate you chiming in. Uh, Emily, before we go, I think you bought a stock recently, didn't you? I bought a lot of stocks recently, and they're all a little bit more risky than Jeff's portfolio there. (laughs) Well, what's one stock that you recently bought? And One stock that I recently bought that I'm still a big fan of, even though I am down on it a bit, is Chewy. So, Chewy being the newpets.com. Uh, no, not really. They are they are <laughs> the largest pet e-commerce retailer though here in the US. And it's a really interesting company because they've we talk a lot about Amazon and how Amazon's, you know, really winning in the retail space, but for instance, Wayfair and Etsy have succeeded really well. I think Chewy is up there with companies that are niche enough that they've carved out a strong market for themselves. Uh, you might have seen their boxes, actually, if you're not too familiar with the product, if you haven't used their services, because they have great branded boxes that show you just how pervasive the company is. Uh, really, all of their revenue, it, it's coming, or virtually all of their revenue, it's coming from recurring purchases. Nice. So, people who have pets go on to Chewy to make recurring pet purchases like litter and food, but they personalize the experience, which means they have exceptionally high retention rates. You know what, now that you say that, because I've looked in into this business a little bit, but now that you say the personalized experience, if I recall correctly, sometimes they even send paintings of your actual pet, I think I saw. Is that right? They've been known to send paintings of pets. Um, if you have the unfortunate experience of having a pet that passes away, they'll send flowers, oftentimes handwritten notes, sometimes little gifts if they feel like they know your dog well enough to know what your dog may like. So it's really doing a great job of and you know moving in on Amazon's network here. It's an interesting because interesting player also because they have a lot of uh, their own labels. And so American Journey is a really popular dog food that is at Chewy's own label and they have the ability to distribute it nationwide. It, meanwhile, Amazon also has its own branded pet food and you probably don't even know the name of it because it's uh, I think it's like called Wolf or Wag, Wag. maybe. Wag. Yeah, it, it, they don't do they don't really no. invest in that brand it doesn't seem like very much. I, I would encourage anybody who has access to a computer right now to or a phone even, that's probably all of us. <laughs> Just Google pet food or pet stuff. And everything you'll find is chewy. I mean, they're really, it's, you'll be hard pressed to find an Amazon link. So Chewy's done an amazing job of really just getting themselves entrenched in the market. And if you're one of the many investors who are concerned about some sort of market downturn, uh, really, pet industry in general is a great one to be in. People tend to spend more on their pets in recessions. People love their pets. They consider them part of their family. The move towards pet humanization has me really sold on this company in particular. Yeah, I think most, if not all of our listeners know I'm a big fan of that industry. I own uh, some shares in IDEX Laboratories and Zoetta, so they're more on the Mm -hmm. medical side. But you have you have convinced me that I need to take a closer look at Chewy's. Real quick, you are a pet owner. You have at least one cat, right? I have exactly one cat. One cat. Do you use Chewy's? <laughs> I do use Chewy's. I get the the litter delivered to me because I am too lazy to go out to the store and get it myself. Well, I'm I'm right there lazy with you. I've got three dogs, and I don't remember the last time I went out to buy a big bag of dog food. I like just getting home and seeing it appear as if from nowhere. So um, I've been using Amazon, but you're convincing me I got to at least give Chewy's a little 
look, so that's At what I'm going to do. At least price compare. Yeah. For the most part, in my experience, uh, they either match or are lower than Amazon's prices. Admittedly, you have to get above a certain amount to get free shipping, though, and that, to me, is the biggest headache associated with Chewy's. Yeah, maybe that'll change. Emily Flippin, thanks so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Emily Flippin, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.